Well, good morning, First Baptist. How are you this morning? I'm glad to get to be with you again in this hour. Of course, my hope is, if you will, camp with me in Revelation 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, If you've gone past Revelation and you're in the maps, you've gone over too far, hang out there in Revelation 5. That's where we'll hang out. The book of Revelation is probably my favorite book in the New Testament, and um, for, for a number of reasons. A lot of people try to read the book of Revelation with a newspaper right by their side, and, they, and they, they try to see what they can do to discern how Revelation speaks directly to current news events, that sort of thing. That's not the way that I choose to read the book of Revelation, because honestly... We can fight and we can squabble about the details. We tend to get focused on all the wrong things in the book. The minor characters, the subplots. When Revelation is first and foremost about Jesus. So if we fix our eyes on Jesus and who Jesus is, well, there you have it. That is what Revelation is essentially about. Of course, its name in Greek is the Apocalypse. And uh, I asked my freshman Bible survey students, what does the Apocalypse mean to you? And, And some of them will say, well, it means the zombie apocalypse. I'm just going to tell you that's college freshmen. Or they'll they'll talk about the end of the world. Maybe some of us associate the apocalypse with the end of the world. When it's a Greek word that means unveiling, to reveal something that was previously covered up. Now, I'm I'm coming upon my anniversary to my lovely wife, Micah. Uh, We're about to be at 18. Is 18? Is that right? I I think I'm doing the, the math correctly. We're about to hit Lucky year number 18, our, our marriage is old enough to vote or be drafted. And um, I remember that lovely day when, when my wife came through the doors of a church building like this. And, and there she was in, in beautiful white, walking down the aisle towards me for the first time. And I remember thinking, oh Lord, here it comes, the apocalypse. To be clear, I don't mean the end of the world. Apocalypse means the unveiling, right? Were you paying attention when I said it's the unveiling? It's the disclosure of something that hasn't previously been seen. So when we meet Jesus in the Gospels, we meet a a baby that's born and laid in 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 a feeding trough for animals who's who grows up the son of a poor carpenter who, 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 who lives a humble life, who, who really has no place to call home for his own, wasn't born in a palace. Humble estate, meager means simple life. But in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus as he is today on his throne in heaven, worshiped and given glory and praise. And just to get this picture of who Jesus is, as we will know him, as we will see him, is one of the most 
comforting, assuring, and powerful things that we encounter all across the Bible. The first thing we see in this passage when we open it up is this description here. I saw in the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. And this is, of course, a picture. We, we go back to the previous chapter of God the Father on the throne. And in God's hand is what some of your translations might say is a book. But it's really meant to be a scroll. It's not a bound book. It's a scroll. And it's a scroll that has seven seals. Back in the ancient Roman Empire, what people would do oftentimes is they would seal their documents with hot wax. And it usually had a press that had Caesar's seal or the seal of a governor or the seal of an official. So you would know that it hadn't been tampered with, that it actually came from the person that was associated with the name on the document. And this particular scroll is a scroll that's sealed seven times. That is, you open the first seal, you break that wax. Imagine in your mind breaking that wax. And you roll the scroll out. And there's another seal. And you break the wax again. And on and on and on. And there's seven here that we see play out in the chapters to come. Seven seals that basically are God's judgment on the earth. But more importantly than trying to figure out the precise details of when and how that occurs, I want you to understand that it's a picture of God's sovereign plan over the world. Remember what I said in the last hour. God is large and in charge. He's large and He's in charge. He's in control of all things. And God has a plan that He wants to carry out for the whole world. He has a plan for First Baptist Alcoa. He has a plan for each and every individual in this room. God has a plan. And guess what? Not one of us is worthy to carry out that plan. Not one of us is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals. We have this picture here of this heavenly scene where the question is asked, who is worthy to open the scroll, to break the seals? This heavenly angel, this messenger pronounces... Who's worthy to carry out God's plan? And of course, there's this picture. No one in heaven or earth or under the earth was worthy to open up the scroll, to break open God's plan, to carry it out. And that would be a pretty grim picture if that were the end of it. If it just ended on this note that no one's worthy for God's plan to be carried out. We could just leave it there. But we have this description in verse 5. One of the elders, one of the 24 elders from the previous chapter speaks to John. He puts his hand on his back and he says, Do not weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered, so he will be able to open the scroll and to break the seals. Of course, this imagery, we 
we think of lions as the king of the jungle. They're the king of the animal kingdom, right? They are, uh, they are a strong and mighty presence. This is the lion from the tribe of Judah, the tribe that was David's tribe. He's the root of David. And by the way, one of the most remarkable things about genealogies in the New Testament is that Jesus is both the descendant of David, but he's also the head of David's family. He's the root of David. He started David's family, and he descends from David's family, and is born of a virgin. No one else gets to choose the family they come from, but Jesus did when he was born of a virgin named Mary, into the family of David, the root of David, the descendant of David, the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's worthy. He's worthy to open the scrolls, to break the seals, to carry out God's plan. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm one of these people that I, I, I sleep heavy, particularly after eating a meal too late at night. I sleep heavy and I have weird dreams. Have any of y'all ever had weird dreams? You ever have those weird dreams where, you know, you, you, you think you see something and all of a sudden it's something else? Or you think you see someone and then all of a sudden it's someone else? You know, I, I, I've, I've had those dreams from time to time. Um, various weird sorts of dreams. The book of Revelation sort of reads like a dream sometimes. Because we hear this description. It's an elder tapping John on the back. Hey, don't sweat it. Don't worry. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's conquered. He's worthy. He's able to break, to open the scroll and to break the seals. And I can imagine he's turning around and he's expecting to see a big old scary lion. He hears about the lion, but what does he see? Verse 6, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. You see that stark contrast? I heard a lion. I saw a lamb. Two appropriate descriptions that speak to different aspects of Jesus' person in scripture he is both the king of kings and the lord of lords and he's worthy of all of our obedience but he's also the slaughtered lamb who took on the cross for you and for me paying the ultimate price and this is a graphic image a graphic image if you could imagine a lamb like one sacrificed on an altar, standing there before the people and the angels in heaven with his throat slashed, blood coming out, the lamb that would be sacrificed on an altar. Jesus becomes that for us. He's standing there in the midst of the throne, in the presence of God, and the four living creatures, and among the elders. And again, this is, this is dreamlike imagery. Don't, 
take this too literally, but understand what it says about Jesus. This slaughtered lamb had seven horns. What? What? What, what, are, what are horns? Well, horns in biblical text are symbolic of power. Seven being a number that means completion or perfection. Jesus has perfect power. Seven horns, perfect power. He's also described as having seven eyes. Again, if I saw a lamb like that, I would run away, okay? But don't be too literal here. Seven horns, seven eyes. Perfect sight, perfect knowledge. Again, presenting us with the knowledge that God has of us, of Christ has of us. He has perfect knowledge, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, don't be confused. I once heard a, heard a televangelist say that you have the Father, the Son, and the seven Holy Spirits. We don't believe in seven different Holy Spirits, okay? This is a description that we've seen in Revelation 1. It's also a description that appeals to Isaiah 11, 2, and 3, which is a description of the sevenfold nature of the Holy Spirit, the characteristics of the Holy Spirit that are unpacked here. And Jesus embodies all these things. He's got perfect power, perfect knowledge, and he has the perfect attributes that are described of the Spirit of God in Isaiah 11. Let me just read those for you so you know what I'm talking about. Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and strength. A spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus embodies all of these things perfectly. And guess what? Jesus is worthy. So he goes right up to the throne of God and takes that scroll with his right hand from the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And he's about to break it open. Here's the thing. Jesus is worthy to be in control of our lives. Jesus is worthy of carrying out God's plan in the world. Jesus is worthy of it all. The lion who is like a lamb. The lamb who is like a lion. With perfect knowledge, with perfect power, who perfectly embodies the Spirit of God. And look at this description. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. Golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is not the only place in Scripture that refers to our prayers like incense before the throne of God. And they sang a new song. See, they sang contemporary music even in the book of Revelation. It's a new song, all right? And what did they say? 
You are worthy to take the scrolls, to open its seals, because you were slaughtered. You purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Last summer, I was uh, in, a, in, a, in a remote village on top of a mountain in Kenya um, with, uh, with a group of what we call Maasai warriors. Maasai warriors are the ones that you see with the, with the red uh, garment cloaked across their chest, and they carry around the spears, and it's a traditional custom that uh, they... Uh, they when they when they become men, a men, the the right into manhood is that they kill a lion, and that's like how you become a man. As you, be, how many of you dudes have done that? Have you killed a lion with a spear? And they would say you're not really a man yet. So I, I'm not going to enter manhood in this life apparently. And uh, and again, when you when you do cross cultural ministry, one thing that becomes apparent is. People deal with different sins in different parts of the world. Obviously, we have our own vices. We have our own issues. We have our own cultural issues. But this pastor, Pastor Dan, 30 years old, has planted 19 churches. What have you done with your life again? That's what I'm sitting there thinking. Man, I, I, uh, 19 churches at 30 years old. He said, please pray with me as I, as I try to, to reach our men and encourage our men not to drink the blood. I said, what? Yes, so it's a it's a it's a it's a ritual that among Messiah men that they uh, that they 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 get the cow's milk and they mix it with the cow's blood and they drink it because they believe that gives them power. Now I've been in some accountability groups for various temptations in my life, but never have I been tempted to drink the cow's blood with my milk. But God wants to save a cow blood drinking culture just like he wants to save a culture that's obsessed with pornography and greed and every other type of dysphoria. He wants to save us all. He wants to make a people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every language. And as different as that worship experience was, the men sitting on the, the, the right side of the church, the women sitting on the left side of the church, and very different worship styles than what we're accustomed to here. Jesus was worthy of the worship that they gave him. And I think heaven will be an exciting place because we're going to learn to worship in some wholly different and new ways because Jesus is worth it. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Let every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and everything in them say blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne to the Lamb forever and ever.
simple takeaway, y'all. Jesus is worthy. What an awesome king we serve. He's gone to great lengths to rescue sinners like you and like me from the clutches of death. That he's bought us. That he's purchased us with his blood. We sometimes look at that language and we forget that it had a really normal secular meaning in the Old Testament. If someone was in bondage to slavery because they couldn't pay their debts, oftentimes they would have to work for a long time, but a family member, a a kinsman redeemer could come alongside and, and purchase you back at great cost to them. Our kinsman redeemer, our lamb like lion and our lion like lamb has purchased us for God by his blood at great cost. But by his resurrection we have a hope and we have a promise that we can be with him and that we can worship him and that we can make his name great for all eternity. He's worthy to carry out God's plan. He's worthy because he saved us. He's worthy of our worship. Let's pray.